you will find that on page 995 in the Pew Bibles. And you might be saying immediately, that does not sound like a Christmas passage. You would be correct. Although everything we believe and preach here has to do with the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. But some years, our sermon series coincides with our music. We sing, start singing Christmas carols in our worship right after Thanksgiving, just about every year. This year, we're not quite coinciding, Lord willing. Next year, we'll begin our Advent series in the sermon messages. So our passage today is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. But when I go to read the passage, I'd like to begin in verse and read that whole front section. And I want you to pay careful attention to some of the things that Paul mentions to Timothy in that section before we get to the therefore in our passage this morning, or the you then in our translation. Children, here are your questions for this morning. First, what are some things all Christians should do to strengthen their faith? Two, what does the Bible say is the only way someone can be saved from sin and made right with God? Three, should churches that teach there are many ways to heaven call themselves Christian churches? Why or why not? Second Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, this is the word of God. I thank God, whom I serve as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I, am remind, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of our testimony, of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. 
You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. There ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Lord our God, we thank you for your word, and we cherish your word, because it is your word. You have spoken to us. Lord, we know that every word from you has been breathed out by you and recorded for us to instruct us, to teach us more about you, and to teach us more about how to live for you. Lord, we ask now that as we have heard from your word, that you would be with us, that your word would impact our very souls. We know that your word will not return void. May, may, our word, may our hearts be softened to receive your word. And as we shift from reading your word to the preaching of your word, we pray for much the same, that the words that come from this pulpit would be sanctified by you and used for the good of every soul gathered here this morning. Minister to us, we pray, by your word and through your spirit. And we come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Paul says to Timothy, you then, my child, or since these things are true, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. There is a reason for what Paul says here in these two short verses. And it's always important for us to see what went beforehand. What Paul says in chapter 1 is rich regarding the faith. It's encouraging regarding Timothy as a young minister called to an ominous task. And it's also full of concern for Timothy being strong in the challenges that he faces. And so there are many things we could highlight in chapter 1. Then we come to this point and we find that Paul tells Timothy there, there are two things that he needs to keep in mind. Now, I'm told many times, read many times, that a sermon should really only have one point uh, to drive home that point again and again. Here, there are going to be two points. They're closely related, but the first one is directly for Timothy, be empowered by the grace of God, and the second one is to appoint teachers who are apt to teach. They need to be empowered by God's grace as well. But first of all, We'll look at Timothy. Two things. First of all, be resolved to pursue the life of faith and your calling. And two, be sure the truth is upheld by solid and sound preachers and teachers. The first one, be empowered by grace. You might think after all the good things that Paul said to Timothy about his faith and being raised in the context of believing grandmother and mother, and the gifts that God has given him, and knowing that Timothy was a faithful individual, that you might think Paul could say, so Timothy, you're good. You're good. Rest on your laurels. You're good. You can do this. But there's no way that Paul is going to do that. He knows. He knows who he is. He knows who Timothy is. He knows what every Christian is. We are needy people who need the strength of God. Earlier, he told Timothy, fan into flame those gifts that you've been given. 
Here he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That word there is empowered. I love the Greek word, or better, I should say, I love the fact that the English word dynamite comes from the Greek word empowered or power. But Paul is saying, be empowered by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And since you're in Christ Jesus, you should be empowered by that grace, strengthen, you're invested with power. You have it, show that you have it, abide in it, and strengthen it. There is strength in being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. There's strength in having the gift of grace that God has given to us, but there's one thing very critical to understand before we can tap into the strength of grace and the strength of the Holy Spirit, and that is to know our weakness. That's a prerequisite. To know our own weakness. The sooner we realize that we are weak, the better off we'll be. Talk about the power of grace. We normally think of grace as that which we need in order to be saved. And, and any true Christian will say amen to that. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. And the sooner we realize that we can't save ourselves, the better off we'll be because we'll throw ourselves on the mercy of God and seek the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had to learn that. He was trying in his own strength. He had to be leveled before he could be saved. And trust in the Lord Jesus. And so there's saving grace, but then there is that sustaining grace, that guiding grace, that grace for the day, that grace for life. So there's, there's grace for salvation and there's grace for life, for perseverance, for sanctification. The sooner we realize how weak we are and how much we need that measure of grace and that strength, the better off we'll be. I'm sure that Many of our forefathers and mothers, but our forefathers in particular that I'll mention, scratched, scratched their heads at some point and said, if only I knew how weak I was, I would have trusted God more. Think of Moses when he tried to insert himself as a deliverer of Israel in his own strength. It was a disaster. Think of David when he was resting on his laurels as king. What a disaster that was when he thought in his own strength he could do what was right. Think of Peter, who in his own strength sought, thought that he was going to stand next to Christ no matter what, even if I die. And Peter had to understand that he was weak in and of himself. Paul had to understand that he was weak. He had to understand that in ourselves we are weak. But we've been given strength by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Don't forget what Paul said back in chapter 1, verse 7. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. There's strength in our weakness when we recognize we're weak and tap into the strength of God. And God gifts us with what we need. He's the source of our strength. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. If we want to know what that looks like, we can look in different places in Scripture. If you look, for instance, at the fruit of the Spirit, those gifts of grace is what really those 
fruits are, you recognize that we're endowed with those things that we need to live a life, a fruitful life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Self-control, I think I missed one, but you know what I'm saying. That God has given us the things that we need for life. He's the source of our strength. He's given us graces to live by. He's also given us peculiar, particular gifts for Timothy. He had the gifts of ministry for kingdom work. But we never want to forget that while we're all gifted with the Holy Spirit, we're all given the fruit of the Spirit, we're also called to exercise gifts in the kingdom. One of our people in one of our studies put it this way, every Christian is gifted appropriately for the time and place God has set them in. We're all gifted to some degree. And dwell, if we're in Christ, and dwelt with the Holy Spirit and gifted to serve. We need to sort that out, and it really is a tragic thing when, when people have gifts and they don't use them and they suppress them. And sometimes we need to feel out where we can use our gifts appropriately and where maybe that's not appropriate. But we're always to be exercising the gifts and graces that God has given to us, using them to his glory and for the good of souls. But it takes discipline. Paul himself understood that he was completely dependent upon grace to do what he was called to do. But he also knew that he had to pursue it. He writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 9-10, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul understood he had grace working, but he had to strive, he had to work hard. The book called The Disciplines of Grace, it sounds like a contradiction in terms, but it's not. All the things that God has given us, we, we have them as gifts from him, but we need to pursue them. Simply think of the full armor of God in Ephesians, and Paul is introducing all those parts of the armor that were given by God. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Actively pursuing the very things that God has given us. And so we're given the gifts, but it takes grit, you might say. Diligence. The Lord willing, we'll elaborate on what that looks like next time. But it takes effort. Can't be afraid to talk about effort as Christians. Can't be afraid to, to think about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Can't be afraid to talk about pursuing righteousness and holiness in our lives. It's a pursuit. It takes grit. And it's not as if we're just completely complacent in this. There's a song that I actually like quite a bit, listen to it a decent amount, but every time that I hear it, this little phrase just bothers me so much. It's a song about devotion. It's a song about wanting to be used by God. It's a song about wanting to be obedient. But it says, use me like a puppet on a string. I don't believe for one second that that is what sanctification 
where the Christian life is about. No, we are being transformed. We are being used. We're to use these gifts. We're to employ them, not just like puppets on a string. Nor are we to be complacent. Given these gifts by God, there really should be no such thing as a nominal or complacent Christian. But those who are pursuing the things of faith should be a great concern if we, we are at the spot in our lives or we know people are at the spot in their lives where they've, they've become complacent about the things of God. Weak and atrophying Christians. Now I say weak. There are two kinds of weak. Again, there's the good kind of weak. The good kind of weakness, that is a recognition that, that we need help from God regularly and constantly. But there's a bad kind of weakness also that comes from neglecting the things that God has given to us, not exercising, not using the means of grace that he's given to us. And so we've been given graces for our life and calling, that we've been empowered by God. So we ask ourselves, I have grace. Grace is at work in me. How do I get more grace? How do, I get more, how, how do you get more grace? God gives more grace. James says that. God gives more grace. How? I know it's a mantra. I know it might seem like I say this an awful lot. But I can't think of any other way than pursuing regularly the means of grace beating a drum of the means of grace. Some of us need to have that cadence built into us. Means of grace, means of grace. If you are not in God's word, you will become weak. If you are not in prayer, you will become weak. If you are not in fellowship and begin to neglect the communion of the saints, you will become increasingly weak. Guaranteed. Because those are the things that God gives his people to strengthen them. And if we're neglecting them, we're going to atrophy. We're going to become weaker. And so we'll have that bad kind of weakness, not that good kind of weakness, that recognizes our need for those very things. Well, Timothy has been given a specific task to propagate the ministry. And so he had to be an example. He had to exercise the gifts for the glory of God, to be suitable for his calling, but also to be an example to the ones he's calling because they too needed to be gifted. They needed to have grit for the ministry that he's called to appoint them to. What have you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful people who will be able to teach others also? He needs to teach other people, the, those who will be leaders and teachers especially, to have grit, to stick to the truth of the gospel. In our context, that seems so easy. We heard about brothers and sisters. They know it, it's not so easy in some places in India to be faithful to the word of God. In our context, it's, it's so easy. So easy wasn't so easy for Timothy, wasn't so easy for the Apostle Paul. He's currently in a dungeon because of his faith. 
because of his boldness. But teachers, preachers, all of us who are true believers need to stick to the truth of the gospel. But also recognize that the gospel is not good news to all. It's good news in and of itself, but there are people who don't receive it that way at all. For those who are being saved, it's an aroma of life, says Paul elsewhere. But to those who are perishing, it is a stench of death. And there will be a reaction against speaking the truth. And there is only one truth. Paul says to Timothy, teach what I taught you and pass that on to others. What you teach has to jive with what I teach. Because what I teach has been given by God. It's in accord with the Old Testament. It's in accord with apostolic teaching. For Paul, it's been given by direct revelation. Don't you dare. Don't you dare teach something else. And don't you dare appoint people who will teach something else. There is one truth. And it's found in the whole counsel of God. Here's where I go on a rant. It may sound arrogant, and I, I don't have all my ducks in a row. But if a man, or in some cases a woman in some circles, claims to be a Christian preacher and doesn't hold to the truth of Scripture, they should stop pretending. They should name themselves what they are. They should not call themselves Christian preachers and teachers. They are basically pontificators, philosophers, inspirational speakers, whatever. They shouldn't call themselves Christian preachers or teachers because they're quite something else. And those preachers and teachers who bear the name of Christian, who suggest that there's more than one way to God, ought to be ashamed of themselves. And they will be utterly ashamed when they stand before God, unless they repent. James says, many of you should, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. If you're going to be a teacher or preacher, you better get things right. You better be true to God's word. You better not be afraid to tell people that they are sinners, desperate sinners in need of a savior. You can't be ashamed or afraid to say that there is only one savior. There's only one way to be reconciled to God, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Can't be afraid to say that there is a standard of righteousness and holiness for the people of God. And so, yes, you have to tell sinners they're sinners. Yes, you need to be excited to tell people about the Savior. And yes, you need to help people realize that it involves taking up your cross and following Christ. Along with all the practical outworkings of the faith. I was so glad to hear one of my sons just yesterday 
saying that he didn't understand why people would go to churches where they didn't believe the truth or preach the truth of Scripture. Why would you even go? And so, again, maybe that's my rant. But it's a rant that I probably will never give up on. No, there needs to be worthy teachers. Worthy teachers. Faithful men. They have to have knowledge of Scripture. They have to have sound doctrine. They have to have righteous character. But here's one that they also need to have the good kind of weakness. I have been in on examinations. I was examined myself for the ministry, but I've been in on examinations, and we, we do ask those important questions about knowledge of Scripture and sound doctrine, and we probe character maybe not quite enough as we ought to. But I don't remember anybody ever asking anybody, do you recognize how utterly weak you are? Do you recognize that in and of yourself you're not adequate to the task that God is calling you to and potentially ordaining you to? Are you weak? Because if you don't recognize how weak you are, you're not going to seek the Lord's strength for the ministry you're called to. Here's what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 6. If I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Tapping into God's grace, the strengthening, the empowerment, the dynamite of God's grace. How often do we do that? I think if we recognize, if we're called to the ministry, we need to do that regularly. Be empowered by the grace of God. But all Christians need to recognize that we are weak in ourselves, strong only in the Lord. We need his grace. We need his strength. But we also need to be diligent. We have the gifts. We need the grit. One final word about what Paul is doing here in having Timothy appoint have Timothy appoint elders and teachers and preachers, is he's expanding on the kingdom work. Exponential growth through teaching, and it's got to be sound teaching. So when Timothy teaches others, they teach others, it grows exponentially. 
Timothy's doing that in Ephesus. Paul is writing to Titus in Crete so that he might put things in order and appoint elders in every town. Exponential growth. Exponential growth. It's not an aside, but it's something that I can't elaborate on this morning. So here's the thing, people. It's for all of us. It's for all of us to be strong, be empowered, strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Pursuing the things that God has given us to pursue. Commitment to living life for Christ. Commitment to solid truth. All of us to live and serve well. We'll end with what (coughs) Peter says, excuse me, grow in the grace of the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. So Lord our God, we praise you this morning because when In our weakness, in our utter sinfulness, we are unable to save ourselves. By your great mercy, you saved us. Out of our bondage, you saved us from your wrath that we deserve. How we praise you for your saving grace. Lord, we're also so deeply thankful that you didn't leave us to live this life in our own strength, to figure it out on our own. You've given To us, your grace that empowers us to live for you. That even in our weakness, we can be strong in you and in your mighty power. And you've given us your word as a guide, not only to the way of salvation, but to the life of the saved. And so we thank you so much for your abundant grace to sinners like us. Lord, we pray that we would be inspired this morning to further pursue the things that you've given to us, the gifts that you've given to us, and that we would pursue it with diligence, pursue all those things with diligence, simply praying, work in us what's pleasing in your sight. We come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.